What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, with the new episode of the Thresh Floor Podcast. This week's episode, we're going to be sitting down with my buddy John Early, and we're going to be talking over a loaded news cycle for Redemption. There's a lot of things that came out in the previous week, a lot of new content. So we'll be going over that, and then we'll be having a short conversation, you know, short by our terms. <laughs> But we'll be talking about kind of maintaining perspective of the game and the, you know, the enjoyment of the game and playing the game for fun, even when you go through some of those frustrating times, like when there's a combo deck that's kind of putting pressure on the tournament field, things of that nature. So we'll have a that brief conversation there at the end. But thanks for tuning in, and we're happy to have you. All right, thank you for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. This is number 24, and we're joined by a friend of the podcast, John Early. How you doing, bud? I am doing fantastic, John. Thanks for having me on. Episode 24, almost made it half a year, my man. Almost. So 24, I don't know if you caught last week at the end. I gave a shout out that it was the Michael Jordan episode. I did. I did hear that. I guess this is the Kobe Bryant um you know, part two episode of there his career. Go. Of his career. It's uh, it's one of those things, and it's funny. See, we're just going to talk about sports right off the bat. At some point, your podcast listeners will see my name on the podcast guest list and just be like, oh, yeah, going to go ahead and not listen to that one. Unless they're sports fans. So, like, Tom Brady, just, like, unretired and all this nonsense, right? But if you, like, split his career into, like, seven-year chunks of his 21 years, all three sections are almost Hall of Fame worthy. Like, two of them are, and the third one is almost. And Kobe's the same way. If you split Kobe's, you know, time from his number eight jersey and his number 24 jersey, both of those careers are Hall of Fame worthy on their own. Like, that's how good these players are. And... We would like to just go ahead and put the uh, thought out there, if you're not aware, that John did compare himself to Tom Brady in an earlier episode. So you can go check that out. (laughs) So at some point, whenever he says, hey, I'm going to retire from competitive play, you just know that next year he's going to win nationals. Oh, perfect. Good, because I plan on retiring. So there you go. I've been saying that for years. I've been I've been doing the little Brett Favre dance where I say I'm going to retire. And I've been saying that for like three years now. So at some point, I'll just pull the trigger and actually do it. No, you won't. You're, you're too endeared to it. <laughs> this is part of your, your chemical makeup now. Without redemption, who are you? Oh, no, no. See, that's the trick is... Retiring for me doesn't mean I'm retiring from the game. There's so many ways to impact the game beyond competitive play. Retiring for me just means I'm not going to play competitively. That doesn't mean that I'm not still going to be an elder and do playtesting and card creation. doesn't still mean that I won't do content creation like Thoughts from Portland, joining you every once in a while on Threshing Floor, things like that. I mean, i definitely still going to go to Nationals and hang out with everybody. I'll just judge all three days. That's fair. But I still think once you once you try to make that pull away, the draw is going to be there because you're such a competitive guy. That's, that's true. That's true. So I guess what we'll do is tonight we're going to go over um, some news that... Oh, man, so much news. <laughs> so much. It's, it's like you never know what the week is going to bring for like this section of the podcast. We were just talking, and this could literally take up the entire episode if we wanted it to. 
I'm not going to lie, John. I feel like every episode that I join you on, we usually have a bunch of news. Like maybe there was one that we did, and I think this is what my third or fourth episode joining you. I think I just like when I see a bunch of news or know a bunch of news is going to drop, like I just like to be in on it. Like I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, right in the middle of it. Well, I guess we'll start right here. Bullet point one is – and I'm glad you haven't started yelling at me yet because <laughs> <laughs> episode five from Thoughts from Portland dropped. And that thing was pretty, it was pretty entertaining, especially when um, Sea of Glass was brought up. <laughs> uh, How ironic. And I know we talked about it earlier today on Discord that Sea of Glass was organically brought up in the week prior to you actually, was, even though the was conversation so was recorded previously. It was. I mean, Jay and I recorded episodes back to back, so we'd have some content, so we'd get a, a flow of episodes and things like that. And I used the Sea of Glass argument there because I thought he was being insane or whatever. And then literally like three, four days after the episode recording, you know, him is bringing up Sea of Glass and an actual like super legitimate usage of it. Like he totally changed my opinion. Do I think I'm going to play Sea of Glass? Eh, maybe not. Um, but I'm definitely going to consider it more with the ability to hit your stars and then filter them back into the deck so you can hit them again. I mean, that's that's actually like super legit. Let me ask you this though: would you would you play Sea of Glass before you would play New Covenant just for Emmaus Road? Uh, yes, I would play Sea of Glass <laughs> before I play New Covenant just for Emmaus Road. Oh man, that was that was awesome. You guys definitely have to listen to that, especially when John. Or I'm sorry, when Jay tried to position that it's the same as I am creator, and then <laughs> and then you're like, you need a character. <laughs> that was that was definitely, I think, and I don't want to say like entertain entertainment over you know quality of content, but it was definitely the most entertaining. I don't know if it's the one you gather the most information from, because it is kind of a bit of a tangent just talking about that one deck and and kind of you know how it impacts the game the way that that deck was built but definitely you're the the most entertained I've been listening to you guys we we definitely went down a rabbit trail there but I think uh I think when you stick to half an hour if you go down a rabbit trail for some entertainment yeah you're going to lose a bit of you know takeaway from it um but seriously guys go listen to the episode um I think there's still some good nuggets in there. We did manage to meander our way back on topic after we got off topic and actually tied it back together, I thought, pretty decently, John. I will say that I have not reheard the ending of it. I'm at the point to where you are. Um, am I listening to it? I'm at the point to where you're like, let's bring it back for the last few minutes. And that's where I stopped listening. So I haven't heard <laughs> the, the final wrap up again since I helped you guys edit it. Uh, a couple you just weeks wanted ago. to listen to the argument today. I know how it is. Absolutely. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, speaking of new content, and I, I feel like I always mention everybody else's stuff, but because Redemption with Jaden does a good job of making sure his videos are out there on his own. I don't always mention his videos and I'm definitely mentioning the video this week because it was fantastic to watch. And this is one of those where you cross into, and maybe if we get to have that conversation later that we talked about, maybe we'll bring it up a little bit, but seeing Jaden take a deck concept or, or an interaction and then work it to where he can make a deck operate exactly how he wants to. And he built it out to 100 cards and ended up decking out on turn one and then winning the game on turn one. It was oh, Spoiler alert, bro. I hadn't seen it yet. Really? 
you, no, you do re- I, you have seen, seen the title it. though, right? I mean, I saw the title, but just because it's titled, that don't make it true. Well, it's true. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. No, that deck's crazy. He and I talked about that deck a little bit uh, before he took it to 100, and we were just kind of bouncing. Because that was, you know, originally when Widow came out, I was looking at turn one wins and ways to get there, and I just didn't think there was quite enough things. And then he had a 50-card version uh, that he popped off a side battle to get Egyptian Army in to discard the last few cards of necessary and things like that. And he play-tested play that against me. But I had first lost soul, and he didn't have enough ways around first lost soul, and so then he eventually had to bury all of my souls, and they all ended up back in my deck, and he couldn't get enough uh, enough around them um, in order to uh, to get them all back out again. He had because uh, I was playing meek souls, so he had put six cards back in my deck, and he didn't have enough mill, and I think that was when he decided to go up to a hundred because he gave him more options to answer things like that in in the main deck, and just you know duplicate copies of of other things that are important to uh to get the mill roll in there yeah even though like i wouldn't want to be in the position of emmanuel on the other side of it and he was a good sport about it but when you see someone craft a deck and actually pull off something like that now obviously that's not healthy for the game and eventually something's going to happen and we'll talk about that in a minute but something's going to happen so that those first turn deck outs are not an option because it opens up too many secondary, I guess, combos, if you will, because you've got all of your cards. You can piece things together at that point. But seeing seeing a somebody that's good at crafting decks take a deck idea or an interaction and then build it out to where they achieve whatever goal they set out, it's pretty cool to see at least the first time. So maybe maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't see J- Jaden run this at any point in any kind of official capacity, obviously. But to see it on video and see how it was done and know the thought process behind that is pretty cool. Oh, for sure. And then as far as more new content this week, um, I don't know that I've seen it mentioned. And it, it might have been mentioned on Discord somewhere, but I have not seen it. But there is a currently four parts to a um, devotional type series on Land of Redemption. And it's posted by Mark. I'm not going to butcher your last name. So... It's by Mark. They're on there, and they're titled God's Glory and Our Assumptions. And currently there's four parts. And I read the first one, and I haven't read any past that because I just realized they were on there the other day when I checked out Land of Redemption. And they're actually really good. And if you haven't given it a chance or you haven't gone and read that, I would definitely suggest going and checking it out because it's pretty cool. Not to mention, like, Land of Redemption on its own land of redemption has a wealth of content that is that is continually turning over not like when i first started playing the game and it seemed like there was that like lull where land of redemption was there and it was this cool site but the content wasn't always fresh or whatever right now there's an abundance of stuff going on with land of redemption so make sure you check that out frequently because i didn't know about this and then i checked it out in addition to those on there there's also uh, peek behind the curtain, which is the articles, and um, I haven't read this yet, so I don't know if it's going to be just two parts or if there's multiple parts beyond that. But part one is out of GOC significant cards that Gabe mentioned in the spoiler channel, where he was going to ask the people that were involved in playtesting and creating GOC what the most significant card was for them. So, Hold on, back up. You haven't read it yet. I have not 
read it. I skimmed it. Did okay, you skimmed it. I mean, I you know, there's it. like five new spoilers in there, right? There's not five new spoilers. Is there? I mean, there's there's one one new spoiler image, and then Tyler shared the other image in Spoiler Channel, so I oh, have that. Sure, one. yeah, and and some of them are from Phase One cards, so that that's fair. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely new spoilers. I just want to make sure you had all the new spoilers, John. I know how you like to hunt those down. Yeah, I, I believe I have everything now. If after we start going through them, I miss something, you can let me know. But I do have those, and I have skimmed the article. I just haven't read it in great detail, just because it's it's been a week this past week. <laughs> but you can go you can go check that out. You can also see on the right hand side where you have the information for nationals and hello, I'm new, free promos. At the top, you'll see where it says our sponsors, and there's now no longer just one sponsor. There is two. Your Turn Games is now an official sponsor for Land of Redemption. So uh, Your Turn Games is partnering with Land of Redemption to help promote the site and whatnot. And I think that's a really good move because Your Turn Games, you know, we talked to Andy last week. And I really do think that they fulfill a unique spot within Redemption because they have the custom challenger and contender decks. So it's nice to see those those guys partner with Land of Redemption. Um. As far as the Lackey Grand Prix, have you played your game already for the this past round? So, I mean, you kind of mentioned that it's been a week for you. It's uh, it's kind of been a week for me, too. So I haven't uh, been able to connect um, as of recording with, uh, with Red Wing yet. I think we tentatively have plans to play tomorrow. Hopefully Jay will let us extend it a day here. Because I think whoever wins uh, makes top four from our game. So so I think we're probably both going to bring combo and we'll just slip a coin. And honestly, we could probably just do that tonight and get it over with. But uh, as, of, as of right now, we haven't played. Okay. Well, I did play and I ended up playing Let Us Pray, who is JD. And we both were playing combo deck. And my combo deck was built pretty 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 well off of the list that he had shared that he played against you because I thought it was probably the best version of the combo deck if you're just selling out for the combo. But I added a couple of a couple of different tweaks, including one that I thought if I ever pull it off in the opening eight, I stop the other person from comboing, but it never happens that way, unfortunately. Using your favorite dominant blinding light on Priest of Zeus. So yeah, you know, I had that in the deck that I played against JD earlier in the tournament. Uh, not not blinding light necessarily, but just uh, uh, just Priest of Zeus. And I don't know. It's just, I mean, there's just too many ways. It's just so good. Yeah, if you if you could ever get darkness to get your Priest of Zeus in play, and then you have Second Coming or Crowd's Choice in your opening hand to go and grab blinding light as soon as they go into their um, they don't get a draw phase, with, but they get an upkeep phase. So before they do anything, you, you play that. And now they can't draw, essentially, without losing something in territory. So that was my idea for putting it in. But the rest of the deck pretty much was based on JD's list. And Jaden asked after it was posted, because he did beat me 5-0. So you guys, I, I lost to the combo deck. And, you know, he asked, did we just flip a coin? And honestly, at that point, we knew who was going to win. And I told him as soon as it happened, like, you're going to win now. And if the coin flip had gone the other way, I would have won. I'm pretty sure it probably would have been 5-0 as well, depending on if he had an early dominant rescue before I could get the cross down. But anyway, that's kind of how it goes when it com- when you combo. And I'm pretty sure the 
top four is going to be very combo heavy. So I don't know if you really, I mean, I guess it depends on what your affinity is for like uh, potentially getting comboed and somebody decking out and putting golden cross in on you. But I might just want to avoid that personally. <laughs> uh, it's easier, I mean, to, easier to say that after I've lost 5-0 though. Had I right, won 5-0, I might feel differently. Exactly. Exactly. No, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm all about that coin flip life. It's fine. <laughs> Just got to wait it somehow. It, well, and that's the trick. And I, I think Priest of Zeus is the wrong card. I think the right card is... Um, uh, the Fool? Yeah, The Fool. The same one that was really good last year. Okay, yeah, Distressing People. Yeah. So, the Pale Green, so you get it on the star ability. Right. Trick with that is... They can, if they play it right, if they have enough of the right pieces, they can just bounce it pretty early on with uh, um, with life in the sun. But if they don't have the the right pieces, then it's a decent answer to some of the stuff they're doing. So that's currently where the Lackey Grand Prix is. We are finishing up round five, and we have top four after that. And so one and four will pair, and then two and three will pair. And the winner of that will play for the winners of that round will play for the title of Lackey Grand Prix. All right, so something that I know you're really excited for national promos, and we talked about it when we did the nationals information podcast. Like, what was that? Like a three hour episode or something? I think it was uh, four. Yeah, probably probably close to that before the edit, and I don't know what it ended up being, but. Um, we were talking about the national promos and at that point we didn't know what was first, second or third. And I was positioning that I thought King of Tyrus would be a really cool one for first place. And yay, I get, I get it. Now I've just got to win first place to get a copy of it. (laughs) So King of Tyrus is first. Treacherous Land is second and Humble is third. And Humble is the one that was voted on by the community. So what do you think about that lineup? Do you think do you think that was the the right order? So I don't remember exactly when we decided, and I might just be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure I knew during the last episode what which one was which. I just couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I I think I picked up on that, and I didn't pry too hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I uh, I definitely voted for Kot uh, being one. I mean, it's just. It's really, really sweet art. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible looking. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's, KOT was one, I think. I think KOT was one period from the very beginning, no questions asked. Um, and then the other two just kind of slotted in there. But I think that one was a pretty easy discussion uh, for us as a team. Okay, cool. Let me ask you this, because this came out at some point. Um Somebody said on Discord, hey, go and check out. There's more information about the promos or new information added to Land of Redemption. So I got on my handy-dandy computer and went over there, and apparently foil promos are something that could be happening, maybe is happening. And this is a new option offered by the current printer that Rob Anderson, the owner of Cactus Games, uses to print Redemption. They are now offering foil cards. So, what can you tell us about that? 
Um, I can tell you that that uh, is super cool. And um, I can tell you that we may or may not have done some test runs of these foil cards to see what they would look like. Um, we, we printed them unofficially. The, the back does not have a redemption back on it. It literally says uh, not an official card, and, and then the fronts are printed so we could see what the foils would look like. And it's a good thing that we did that uh, because uh, white does not show up very well in foil. Uh, it shows up as silver. Uh, so we discovered that. Um, so we did some refining and stuff like that on them. Um, but yes, unless something changes between now and nationals, um, the, the national promos, um, KOT, T-Land, and Humble uh, for sure will be foil cards. We are looking at the other cards as well. Uh, and it's just going to depend on what Rob wants to do, where his generosity is at, what he can afford that is uh, significantly more expensive to do them as foils. Uh, so it'll just kind of depend on that. But as of right now, uh, they will be foiled. And that is a relatively recent development. I think uh, about a month ago um, was when uh, when we had a call and uh, Gabe showed off the the printing that he had done on them to uh, to us. So super cool. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. So there there will not be any regular printed ones. They will all just be foil. I believe that's correct. Yes. Okay, cool. So the foil ones that they that Gabe got as, you know, testing to see what the white looked like or whatnot. What's going to happen to those? Because as you mentioned those, and we've had an episode on collecting, that'd be a pretty cool collectible piece. So you get you getting your hands on one of those? That would be a question to ask Gabe, maybe have him on again and talk to him about that. Um, he, uh, I believe he paid for them out of his own pocket. Um, and so I believe they are his to keep. And yes, they are rather unique, one of a kind, not tournament legal, um, simply a test printing um, of the cards. So yeah, pretty cool collector's item for sure. Uh, but I imagine Gabe will hold on to those. No, that's fair. Definitely cool, though, to know that something's being added to the collectible pot, if you will. Um, also, this week, you shared in the uh, Tournaments and Shout Out channel, I believe it was, that you've received your first official application for Teams Partner. <laughs> so don't think that we were going to go this episode without bringing that up. Mr. Ron Sias, the man himself that created a deck that caused us to only have one side battle per turn, that man has reached out, and he wants to be your partner. I think you should just close, close, the, close the open window right there, but uh, what do you think about opening that resume? I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was super funny. I uh, We were getting ready to go out. Uh, my wife and I had tickets to a Timberwolves game, and we were getting ready to leave the house, and I went over the counter, uh, and the mail from the day was there, and I saw my name on something, and I don't get all – I mean, I usually don't get much mail. My wife gets more than I do, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what that is, and I saw that it was from Ron, and it was like a big envelope. The page was folded in half in it, so it was a big envelope. Um, and I literally – I looked at him like, what on earth is Ron mailing me? Like, I don't remember, like, talking to him about anything recently. Like, I haven't done any trades. This is way too big to be cards. Like, what is this? And then I opened it up, and – 
I didn't realize what it was at first. I just thought like maybe he changed real estate companies or something and wanted to make sure I had his contact info. Cause when I bought my house here, um, I called him and he hooked me up with the real estate agent, uh, here in town to, to help me get my house or whatever. So I, I was, and then I like started reading it and I literally just burst out laughing. My wife looked at me. She's like, she's like, what is that? And I'm like, it is the greatest joke I have seen in a long time from a redemption player. And then I <laughs> had to take a picture of it and share it with everybody. And then he put your official name on there, John Early the Third. He did. He he wasn't messing around. And his education is from the Redemption School of Hard Knocks. And you know what? That's a good point for him. I mean, that's a feather in his cap. That's my alma mater too. So I mean, we got that in common. Yeah. So anybody else that that is thinking about putting in an application to be your team's partner, the bar has been set very high by Mr. Ron Sias. So well, that's what I'm saying. People are saying that we should just close the, uh, the, the, you know, application window or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, I want to see who else is going to step up to that level of commitment. Yeah. But on the other side, I mean, Ron is just trying to get his hands on that King of Tyrus, man. Like he, well, he needs yes. those full foil so, promos. So am I. Exactly. So I I don't think you're gonna win it in teens anyway, to be honest. Because uh Ooh, all I'm, right. I'm still sticking that me and Jeremy are gonna win it this year. All right, all right. Jeremy, if you're out there listening, you are not playing sealed. You are not. I know you want to, but you're not. So I, I could be left at the, you know, what is the, the phrase, standing at the altar without a, without a partner there <laughs> <laughs> once he chooses the K&L starter deck. So for me. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So um, in other Nationals news, last week we had Andy on, and he was, he was supposed to share this in the episode, and it never came up, or he, he forgot about it while we were recording and remembered it right after. And I apologize, Andy, because – we actually recorded him giving the information, and I was supposed to edit that so that I could share that with you like a recorded clip here. But based on the week that I had, that was not going to happen. So here's a bit of national news information that, for the most part, for most people, it's going to be new information unless you're behind the scenes about it. But Your Turn Games is going to be sponsoring Iron Man, another side event. It's a side event that's been done in the past at nationals to where you have a you know, you play casual pickup games and you have a certain number of, like, they give you tickets or whatever. And you beat a player, they give you one of their tickets and you play until you run out of tickets to give, meaning that you've lost however many times, however many tickets you had. But the twist is that it's going to be sponsored by Your Turn Games. They're going to be offering some prize support for that and whatnot. And it's going to be featuring contender decks. And Andy did say that you will not have to purchase a new contender deck, but you will have to use a contender deck. So you'll have to use your own cards or purchase cards to actually have an official contender deck deck list that you will use. As far as if you can change it up between matchups, so if you have like two or three different contender decks, I don't know if that's something you can do or if you have to like enter one. But I'm sure more, more details can come out now that that's public knowledge. But Iron Man is going to be returning as a side event at Nationals, and you will be using Contender decks if you participate with that, which is pretty cool. Have you ever been big into Iron Man? Um, no, not really. I usually don't have time, to be honest. Yeah, and speaking of time this year, I feel like all these side events 
Time is going to be a very precious commodity at nationals this year. There's so oh, 100%. much, hundred percent, so much stuff to do. Hundred um, percent, it's going to be in GOC Phase One um, tournament legal news. There should be an announcement, and this is something that that came up a couple of different times this past week. Should be an announcement coming within the next week. That was shared by, I guess. It was shared by Derek and then you because you and Derek talked or whatever. Yeah, I was I was driving. I was driving and I was texting. I figured I probably shouldn't do that. So I had Derek call me and then he posted. And when I was done driving, I, I chimed in later. Yeah, so there should be an announcement coming out this coming week. And then um, Tyler also mentioned in response to some critical comments about the combo or concern about the combo deck and how it could affect the tournament season. He basically assured that it would not affect the tournament season and to expect an answer about the Widow combo decks coming in the next week or so. So I'm not going to ask you to give me information that's not that's not known yet, but part of me just assumes that those two things are combined to where you guys are working on the answer or the solution to the Widow problem in addition to making cards legal once that fix is known. So... What what widow problem? I think it's fine. <laughs> I bet you do. Coin flips all the way. You never have to worry about timeout again. Right, exactly. Although I will say, uh, Jaden's video, uh, if you go and watch it, he has an hour and a half for a lack of Grand Prix game. I think he's down to like 15 minutes at the end of it. Like He took one very, very, very long turn. That is fair. And he did say something about that on Discord. When someone mentioned him taking long turns, he said the trade-off is that I take very few of them, <laughs> which is, which is a pretty good, pretty good comeback to that complaint. <laughs> One to be exact. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's 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 pretty cool, um, and I know that it actually becoming tournament legal is something that I know I'm personally looking forward to because I just want to play the cards, like the actual physical cards. Like, I enjoy playing on Lackey. I really do, especially when you get to play players that you don't normally, you know, have in your area to play. But nothing beats sitting down with actual physical cards and playing face-to-face. And I know we have the Zoom tournaments and things, but, like, just you across from me, there's there's so much that you can pick up on from player versus player with the physical cards in hand. And I'm ready to play some physical games with the new cards. Still don't know what deck I would be building using those because I've been, you know, sidetracked with the whole combo thing and trying to make, you know, an efficient combo deck. But, you know, that's that's another thing that'll happen when the fix comes, then people will repurpose. And folks like you are already ahead of the game because you're building what you call on the episode, another plug for Thoughts from Portland, the best deck in the format. You think you've already got that figured out, so I'll have to, uh, you know, try to catch up a little bit. Um. We did have several spoilers this week, and this time I will preface by saying spoiler alert. Um, we had two new cards from the K&L starter decks that was shared in the spoiler channel, in addition to a Phase 2 card that was shared. That Phase 2 card, uh, which is the Sorted Spirit, it's a single brigade orange demon, it was also shared as part of the article for significant cards that was found on Land of Redemption. So... You can go and see that card image there. There's also another card that was spoiled in the article but was not put in the spoiler channel. So if you did not see that, then you wouldn't know about this. But there is a card called Foolish Builder. 
and we'll talk about that. And then also uh, on the Land of Redemption article for Nationals. So a lot of a lot of our news is coming back to Land of Redemption. So make sure you're checking that out frequently. But there is three card images that are shared from the K and L starter decks. Yeah, but you can't quite see the ability on the one. Um, would it be different? Are you trying to Are you trying to throw me off? Or I'm just playing with uh, you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it looks like it's just the standard ability, but there is the image of Son <laughs> of God, which is actually pretty cool artwork for the starter deck. It's it's new. It gives it a refresher, and it looks like it is. Full art and borderless, potentially. Um, so, I don't know if I'm picking up on that wrongly, but it there, looks There like... is a story behind Son of God. Okay. And it's not my story to tell. So Who do I need to have Gabe. on? You need to have Gabe on. Call Gabe and get Gabe on an episode sometime and ask him for the Son of God story. Because uh, there is some story behind the art that's on it. Um, and potentially some art that maybe isn't on it or maybe could still be on it. So call Gabe, get the full story from him. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll have my people call his people. There we'll you get go. That done. Um, but in addition to Son of God, which looks, looks pretty cool, you have David the Anointed, which is uh, you know the main hero for the K starter deck, and then the L starter deck's main bad guy, is Goliath, which makes sense because you're going to have the story play out of David versus Goliath. And it's a new ability for Goliath, and it's using the promo artwork. So it's artwork that we've seen before. But um, before we get into those, we'll, we'll start We'll start back at the beginning of what was spoiled in the channel. You have David's Prayer, which is going to be a Mono Brigade purple enhancement. That's territory class. You may play a Lost Soul and a First Samuel character from a deck. And First Samuel is the reference that I believe was on the last card that was spoiled, um, uh, Bravery of David, which is, you know, now a tutor card versus a quote-unquote battle winner. But David's Prayer is one of the cards, it looks like, that can be sought out with that card. And so you play a lost soul and a character from a deck. So at the cost of getting soul gen, you provide them with an evil character to block. Or... Play a lost soul at the cost of having to block a lost soul. You get an evil character out of your deck. Seems pretty straightforward. Seems like it's going to help with some of those turns where you kind of had the lull of they don't have a soul to go for, or there's a soul but they don't have an evil character. Not that that happened a lot. A lot of times it ended up being they have evil characters but they don't have enhancements that match them, which I don't think is going to be an issue with these starter decks from what we've seen. But you know, kind of just more ways to alleviate that issue of there's not a soul to go for. Um, and the artwork looks pretty cool. You've got, you've got David, you know, looks like he's holding up his, you know, his shepherd staff under the, you know, the pale moonlight. So pretty, pretty cool card. What do you think about that, John? Um, <laughs> I think the best play in sealed deck is to offer a complete defensive swap with your opponent. That way you can play a lost soul uh, from their deck and not have to play an evil character at the same time. And then in later games, you get to either play a hero or an evil character from your deck um, at the cost of playing a lost soul. So I, uh, I think the right play is to offer a defensive trade, com trade complete defenses uh, with your opponent. 
and see if they bite. Okay, so if you're if you're hearing that, if you played sealed or if you play sealed, and someone offers you that trade, don't take it because you know why they're doing it. It's because or they take it because the same thing works the other direction. Remember the decks. Are oh mirrored. yeah, it is mirrored. Okay, yeah, I guess that's right. So the question really becomes, I guess that means that the Goliath would be the the top evil character for that deck. That must be the hard-hearted Pharaoh's mirrored ability, I would assume. You can make that assumption. I will make that assumption. I will share that assumption with you all out there. Um, the next card is a black enhancement, Mono Brigade, Territory Class. And I love seeing all the Territory Class stuff because you guys mentioned on, on your podcast episode that the game's changed to where a lot of it is in the prep phase. And you're seeing that kind of flow over into the starter decks that are coming out, um, which means it, it looks like they're going to be appropriately built for the time period that they're releasing. But this one is called Taking the Ark, and it says you may look at the top six cards of deck. So not a deck, of deck. So you can only look at yours, take up to one evil card, and under deck the rest. So no shenanigans here with uh, Jeshua, but you can take one evil card, and it doesn't <laughs> have to have any specific ability, doesn't have to have a discard ability or anything. So you just look at the top six cards, take one, and underdeck the rest. And it's a one-off card. So it's going to, depending on the situation, it could get you an evil character. It could get you an evil dominant. I don't know if we're going to see any curses or anything. Uh, there's, there's evil dominance in these decks? I would assume that there's probably going to be something. There you go, assuming again. Okay, so we, we don't know that there's evil dominance, but if there was one, if there happened to be one, if there happened to be a Christian martyr, you could go and get that with this. You can get a battle-winning enhancement. You could get a negate. Just evil card leaves it very open-ended, which means that this card is going to you know, get whatever you need for an upcoming battle if you use it in your prep phase. So pretty cool uh, overall. I do think that, it seems like with the few cards that we got in GOC that you can use with like Philistines and, and just overall black splash defenses, and then all of the support you're getting here in KNL, not that you're going to use a ton of these cards in a deck with black defense, but it seems like there's a run here from LOC on where black has just been getting all the toys on the defensive side. And you know, they've got wages clinging to power now out of GOC. Black just seems... Like it's going to have a ton of like I don't I don't know how you how you word those cards like the utility cards that kind of make sure you have access to everything that you need. So I would assume, and I know that Type One doesn't necessarily allow you to play all of these cards, but some of these cards are going to increase the viability. I would guess probably in like Type Two to where you can you can pair them up. These being Mono Brigade and having strong abilities. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's that's from my untrained type two mind, but I am thinking about type two. So there you go, Jaden and Tyler. Watch out! He's <laughs> uh, and then we have the aforementioned the Sorted Spirit, which is going to be the card that Tyler selected as his significant card from GOC Phase One. And the Sorted Spirit is a Mono Brigade Demon. It does not have the Demon identifier, as we talked about the, this this past week. If it is Mono Brigade Orange, it is going to be a demon. So you don't have to have, it's it's a redundant thing to have it there. But this card says you may place this card on a good card in a territory to add a gospel demon from deck or reserve to battle. 
and it's not territory class, so you come into battle and you you place it, and then you add from your deck a reserve to battle. While placed, negate that good card and paralyze it if it is a hero. Cannot be prevented. Um, so you can target any good card in a territory. So that's going to limit, you know, you can't hit the things and set aside like Ark of Salvation if they have that, but you could hit Storehouse. You could hit Herod's Temple. You could hit things like that. And then you could place it on a hero and paralyze it so that they can't enter battle with that hero. Cannot be prevented. And cannot be prevented, I think, is really key with this card so that you can go into your deck. It kind of basically gives the same type of ability as Deceiver, but with the added option to add the negate to whatever card it places itself on. And I, I made the connection with this and Rubble and Dust, which has been very limited in usage over the past few years. Uh, maybe making that more playable. Did you did you run into this card in playtesting, John? And do you think that it's going to make Rubble and Dust more playable? Are the orange cards in Phase 2 overall are going to do that? Uh, Rubble and Dust is definitely more playable now. I don't know if it is, you know, 100% all the way there just yet. Um, but I think it's getting closer. Yeah, I figured you would love that. It also came up when you when you talk about things on your podcast. It seems like it sparks conversation. You brought up Sea of Glass, and Sea of Glass gets talked about. And on the episode previously, you had mentioned Rubble and Dust as one of the lesser effective dominants. And then you know this came out and made us start talking about it a little bit. So you guys are pretty good at, at starting the conversation. And then just kick back and see where it goes. I do like to just kick back and see where they go. So do you think overall orange, not to not to get you to give me like a prediction here, but do you think that GOC phase two orange demons, where do you rank them with like Pharisees and Sadducees that we've seen, you know, people on this side of the table? Do you think orange demons are better or do you, are they kind of in line with those? So I keep talking about this cross deck that I have that's a defensive heavy that's really good. I haven't shared the list yet because half of it is orange. Okay. <laughs> I guess that kind of leads into an answer. Um, that That's the answer. I think they're amazing. Okay, cool. I think that um, what card was it that we see? We saw one of the very early cards when I guess GOC, it hadn't been determined that it was going to be split into phases at that point, but it was like Destructive Sin. And it had the 3D effect, uh, you know, with the guy's hand reaching over the like the frame. Yeah, and I think we gave you like part of the uh, yeah the star um, star ability, and then yeah, part some, of the star ability. Yeah, some of us kind of worked on it to try to figure out what it said. I'm sure I was involved with that, but I don't know if we we decoded it all the way or not. But I think we did, and I don't know if that's changed or not. But I remember seeing that card, and okay, demons. It seems really cool, and then. I guess sometime after that, the article came out that Gabe posted about like what to expect. And when he mentioned the demons and their effects of placing to show like people that were afflicted, I thought that was a really cool way to give it kind of a unique quality. And I I know that previously, you know, demons had kind of that within redemption cards within the redemption, you know, catalog or whatnot, but all that rotated out or a lot of that rotated out. It gives it a unique thing to where it plays directly into the story. So when you, this spirit was afflicting a man, now you can have it afflict, you know, any hero in your opponent's territory. I think that's really cool. And it makes it play more memorable to the actual stories that they're coming from, which is really unique about them. And that's one of the things that I was looking most forward to 
about them when, when we realized kind of how they were going to play when Gabe shared that article. So um, we'll move right along to Foolish Builder. And this is a card that, again, I mentioned is on Land of Redemption in the Significant Cards from GOC article that Gabe posted. And this one was done by Marcus, who is Redemption Aggie, the uh, ruling czar for redemption, if you will. And this card's called Foolish Builder. It's a Crimson Mono Brigade evil character that's territory class. And it's got the, the same star ability for most fools. Give this card to opponent's territory. Generic fool limit one fool per territory. So each upkeep, you must give a site or fortress to owner's territory. If you cannot, discard the bottom card of deck. That's a really cool card. Because at a certain point, they're going to give you a fortress or site that if you're including that in your deck is a really, well, maybe not like Egypt or something to where you get an instant benefit, but if they've got like ends of the earth or um, something like that, or they have a fortress, they're usually relying on that as a, you know, after you put it in play, the value that it's going to give you. They're going to give you that or, well, I mean, they're going to do that up until the point that they can't. And then it's going to keep working by discard the bottom card of their deck. This guy looks looks pretty cool, and it looks like it's going to fit in with the thieves that are coming out in Phase 2. So this card looks looks pretty cool. Got some interesting artwork on the, the, the guy sitting here, and then the like border image looks pretty cool. So not too much about that. We've seen fools before, and there's, I think some of them are more useful than others, but this one seems to have more long-term impact potentially than some of the other ones because the other ones you can kind of play around but each upkeep giving a fortress to your opponent, that's that's pretty good, especially if you pair with, like, um, Joshua and other territory uh, things to kind of manipulate. So you give them this, and then you're able to then hit other things that, okay, well, that's one less thing for them to give you to where then you're discarding the bottom card of their deck. You got anything you, you want to add about Foolish Builder, sir? Um, I mean, I like choosing the blocker when I have toss them over there is convenient for that. Well, all fools do that. Do you think that? <laughs> I, I, I know. <laughs> do you, and, and of course you would be the one to go back with that. Uh, choose the blocker, which, you know, we added another one with Simon for you to play with in new Testament. But what do you, what do you think his ability ranks in fools? Do you think he's, he's I think up he's, there? I think he's up there for sure. I mean, I don't know that I want to say like, top three but i mean it's he's he's up there for sure i mean i would definitely um i mean (laughs) there's just so many sites and fortresses that are being played that are like really useful um that like he's probably gonna hit something i kind of feel the same way um if you listen to our episode on thoughts from portland when i talked about shipwreck i feel the same way about foolish builder they do about shipwreck like he's probably gonna hit something at some point they're gonna have to give you something useful yeah i think it's really cool with some of the cards like uh jesse or you have people playing distress to negate uh whatever so you can give this to kind of get around like if your opponent has distress negating characters in your territory instead of or Jesse, instead of having to put him down and him, you know, work across the aisle, so to speak, you know, the star ability. The only the only thing that makes fools hard for me to like say are really good is the fact that it's so finicky whether you get that star ability to go off. Yeah. And like if there was some kind of way, you know, like maybe sea of glass and eyes to see so you could reuse some star abilities, 
you know, like him was talking about. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you fit some fools into that. But like, all right, I just I'm, I'm, I'm about that. <laughs> um, I just don't I don't know that I could rely on them. And some of the abilities are really good. And you're like, okay, that would be awesome if it goes off. But if it doesn't go off, it's literally a dead card in your hand because you don't want to put that down. Because like yeah. this one, even even if you're not playing with forts and sights, you're going to be discarding the bottom card of your deck. I think where they come in, I don't know, I'm not going to say handy, but like the situation that I would look at using them in is when I'm playing Thieves. Um, because then I can play him there. He's a thief to trigger some thief uh, abilities that are necessary. And then hopefully he you know dies and I don't have to take the, the, the painful side of him. But, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that you play... Um, you know, three or four fools in a deck, and then if you get stuck with one, you get stuck with one. Um, I think it's more of a, you know, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this guy in theme, and then if I need to use him as a blocker because I whiff his star, I can. Yeah, I guess one other benefit for them is that fools always have the star ability. So if you're playing a defense where you're trying to get, you know, add some star some star ability evil characters so that you can potentially, you know, hit for higher numbers on numerous as the stars or something like that. Sure. Uh, that, that's an option. But, yeah, very, very uh, unique card types, and you just kind of have to figure out what the best use of those. I have not figured out that perfect balance because they're mostly dead when I play them. You're drawing too much. Yeah, that possibly is true, but who doesn't want to, like, the whole reason the, the combo deck is good is because who doesn't enjoy drawing? That's true. Um, we did mention the Son of God and the artwork there. It's going to be your standard negate and rescue a lost soul, it it looks like. Can't see it 100% from the image that was shared on Land of Redemption, the way the cards are stacked. But I assume that, and maybe somewhere down the road, we can get the story on the artwork there. But as far as David the Anointed, I mentioned that. That's going to be a green and purple hero, dual brigade. He is warrior class. And... He has a full line of identifiers. It almost goes past the picture. It's Giant Slayer, King of Judah, and Israel, Musician, Prophet. And his ability is negate an evil card. You may draw one. So again, who doesn't like drawing? You can draw one with him. We must have let Tyler design that one. You know, something tells me he had a lot to do with this entire starter deck. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. But... um. This works with the new David's Harp, because isn't it when David enters battle, you get to negate an evil card or draw one, and then this is basically the same ability. Negate an evil card, you may draw one. So David's Harp could be used with him him as well pretty effectively, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely it can be. David's Harp's really good. So then we'll look at Goliath, his you know arch nemesis in the story of the starter decks, how they're going to play out. You have, oh, David's numbers, by the way, I didn't mention those. He's a 12 and 10, which could be important because Goliath's numbers are 12 and 12. So the 12 matches the 12 toughness. So at the very least, well, actually, I guess if they don't have Goliath down on the board, because looking at the abilities, we'll just read out the ability here. Goliath Fearbringer. And I mentioned that he has the promo art, which is the shadow of the giant. And it's got David... With the sling stone, you know, shadow form. He's warrior class, obviously, Goliath is. And he's listed as Philistine Giant. And his ability is protect this character from lone heroes. 
you may look at a hand and see that's where if he's not in play already, David doesn't know, uh, doesn't use his ability to negate him. Then it requires a you know extra negate because otherwise he's protected from lone heroes. But once Goliath is out on the board, David basically matches him, negates an evil card, and then his 12 and 12 matches up. So once they're both on the board, it requires an enhancement for David not to get a soul when facing Goliath at that point, which is pretty cool for the way that the story plays out. But definitely like seeing the the artwork reused there. I guess some people might might have, you know, some differing thoughts on reusing some artwork, but it's on the same character and whatnot. I think it's pretty cool there, and I think it looks really good for the starter decks. And David the Anointed, the artwork looks pretty good. It looks like this is, I guess this is supposed to be the scene when um, Jesse is actually, no, I'm sorry, Samuel is coming and looking at all of his all of Jesse's sons and. I guess that's the story where David was out still working and they had to call him in separately. But it looks like that's what the artwork is from, which is pretty cool. And you still have not tested the starter decks at all, or have you? I mean, I've, I've tested them like a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. Okay. Is it, is it pretty much the way that I, I played this out in my head there to where like David, once Goliath's on the board, David pretty much wins the battle or, I mean, the, Obviously, enhancements matter, but... Yeah, so the enhancements matter quite a bit in the starter decks, to be honest. But I, I guess the overall goal of the hero versus the evil character, I guess, would be that David has the tools with... If no enhancements are played, he has the tools to rescue a soul versus Goliath with the abilities to negate an evil card and then Goliath needing to be negated because he's protected from alone heroes. The only question is, and with... Tyler being involved, you may draw one on David. There's definitely got to be something that bans to David. There's got to be banding in the starter decks if Tyler's involved with it, right? There is definitely some banding in the starter decks, for sure. Nice, nice. So I guess that wraps it up for new cards. So again, that's David's Prayer, Taking the Ark, David the Anointed, Goliath Fearbringer, and Son of God, which are from the starter decks. And then from Phase 2, we have the Sorted Spirit and Foolish Builder. So I think that brings us up to four full Phase 2 cards that are spoiled. Um, the one that was spoiled last week. And then four Drop McCoin, which I didn't realize at the time because I felt like there was another one. But it was four Drop McCoin that was, that was spoiled previously. So that brings us up to four total. So you guys... I only have, what, 100, what is it, like 20 cards to go? Yeah, something like that. We'll, we'll see if we get through all of them or not. I guess, honestly, with the excitement of tournament season and having the starters, you could almost leave most of the, like, you know, a very large portion of Phase 2 cards for when people open the packs up at Nationals. So I think we'll share a good chunk of them because players are going to be booster drafting them. We probably want them to see, you know, what they'll be drafting so that the draft doesn't take forever. Um, I almost always judge booster draft day. Um, and I'll tell you that um, if we're drafting for like an hour and a half because people are reading every single card, that's going to make for a not great day for us. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. So, And that's why you guys make the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we're all volunteers, John. So I guess we'll move into the conversation that you know, we, 
we talked about potentially having here. I guess we've got enough time to try to hit it. And that's like maintaining perspective through outplaying the game of redemption because at the end of it, the game is a game. And it's supposed to be, you know, something that's a, you know, an experience that brings joy to the player that's playing the game. And it doesn't always do that. I know especially when you think about, like, competitive play, things can go awry and you can you can build this deck and you can put a lot of time and effort and energy into this deck, stay up hours of the night building it before a tournament and then show up and, boom, the tournament doesn't go your way and now you're... I don't necessarily know how to explain that feeling, but it's like you still like the game, but you're just really frustrated with it, and it's like, ah. Uh, and you really just need to take a little break, you know, like step away for a little bit and then come back to it. And I think a lot of things in life are that way. But it seems like when we've got these combo decks that are going around, it kind of, you know, heightens that bit of, like, frustration that players, some you know, sometimes feel. And, you know, it's not great sitting on the other side of being 5-0'd. But, you know, it happened to me this week in the Lackey Grand Prix, and I dealt with it by choosing to acknowledge how cool it was to see somebody, uh, see someone take the combo interaction of Widow and Life in the Sun and build out the best possible deck that it could be and come up with, you know, the Invoking Terror play, you know, Cross and Golden Calf. And just, you know acknowledging how cool it was to see a good deck builder build an entire deck around exploiting that interaction. And that's how I, you know, got through the experience. But um, I know in the past people have talked about that, you know, Redemption was pretty strong against combos, and now it seems like they give them a pretty good leash, at least for a time. Could you, uh, since you've been around for a while, could you just explain kind of how the, the viewpoint on that has changed from the leadership perspective and, you know, how it was then versus how you guys react to a new combo now? Yeah, you know, it's super interesting because I think we've gone through some phases, so to speak. Um, and I think, you know, to really properly tell the story, you have to throw it all the way back to, you know, circa 2002, 2003. Um and we have the Devastator combo deck, which was a deck by, the, by Ron Sias, where he basically played a bunch of side battle cards in a turn and then used momentum change and eight copies of Search, eight copies of False Peace, and you know eight copies of Confusion and took out his opponent's entire deck, grabbed everything he needed from his, and then proceeded to win from there. Um, you know, the opponent didn't have any heroes, evil characters, or dominance left. So, I mean, all they were drawn was enhancements. So they were drawn blank the rest of the game, and then it was over four turns later. So you had that combo deck. And then around the same time, there were also some other type two combo decks uh, that used things like besieging the city combos, um, besieging the city to stop the opponent from uh, drawing or attacking on their next turn. And there were various ways to, uh, through side battles and things to play besieging the city every single turn of yours. So basically you would get your turns and your opponents won't get theirs. Um, and those combos, you know, were legal and allowed and, and went through, um, you know, tournament seasons and people played them and things like that. Um, Kirk Dennison was always really good at coming up with combos in type two. So for a very long time, combos were a type two uh, thing um, and they, 
they played out and players played against them and nothing was really done about them in the moment. Things were done after the fact. And then we had a little deck that we call Speed Camp. So Speed Camp was created by Cliff Kreisel um, along with Tyler. And Tyler will tell you that he had to deal with Speed Camp for years and played against it all the time and it's what he brings up anytime somebody starts talking about combos is that he had to play against it well that's cool whatever so speed camp was a type 2 combo deck using uh sin in the camp which at the time you could drop multiple copies into uh, someone's territory and basically um, each upkeep phase they had to under deck a card from their hand and so in combination with words of discouragement uh, you put your entire hand back on the deck and then when you drew your three cards there were three copies of sin in the camp in your territory and those three cards went away and so you're playing with no cards and the game is over a short five turns later um, and all of these combos were fairly reliable fairly easy to set up um, I believe Gabe won national tournament in 2009 with speed camp. Um, and I played against speed camp in type two um, at that tournament. Yes, uh, friends, I was a type two player at one point in my life. Um, I don't like to speak about that dark, dark time, but I was. So I played against it um, and it was not a good experience. Uh, frankly, playing against it, um, didn't really enjoy it. And I, I tried to scoop actually in the middle of, of the game because after I put off the combo, I'm like, okay, there's no point playing this out. You win moving along or whatever and and Gabe's like no no we, we we don't do that in redemption and he was right and whatever and then after the game he's like by the way um you had one dominant left in your deck because that was kind of always the out as if you hit a dominant um you can uh get rid of all the copies of sin in the camp um but the deck the speed camp played confusions to take those out uh well apparently i missed that gabe hadn't taken out all of my dominance with confusions um it didn't really matter i never got back to it anyway um and the, the game was was over um so speed camp kind of ushered in an era then um of players uh, talking about um you know, negative play experience and things like that. And the leadership team at the time took a very, um, I don't want to say heavy handed per se, because um, that has a negative connotation to it, but they took the stance that uh, players come to play the game and we shouldn't allow things that create for negative play experience and games where basically one player isn't playing, uh, which is what the majority of combos at the time, um, and frankly combos today still uh, aim for, is uh, creating a state where the opponent uh, doesn't really matter what they do. They're not really playing. They're there, and the game is over a few short turns later. Um, in Redemption, because of because of the win condition, uh, most combo decks like that's that's what they do. Um, you know, in other games, combo decks can combo towards different things and have different goals and things like that. And typically, um, in those games, when a combo deck hits, the game is then over instantly. In Redemption, I can combo and the game can still take another 20 minutes for me to take my turns and rescue and, and go through all that process, you know. And so it's just miserable for the player sitting there uh, knowing that the game is over and yet it's not because of uh, Redemption's win condition. I mean, that would be the one positive about uh, Jaden's variation on the, the Widow Infinite draw combo is at least his only takes one turn. I mean, it took an hour and 15 minutes, but it, it was one turn, you know? <laughs> um, Gotta make the most so, of it. 
uh, exactly got to make the most of that one turn so so for a good chunk of time you know anytime there was a whiff of a combo that was going to create mpe um erratas were issued or things were changed rules were adjusted things like that um i built one uh with the help of james repke uh james repke and i came up with a way to uh discard the opponent's entire deck in one turn um in type two um and the deck literally i literally shared the combo with uh, one of the redemption elders at the time and i played it in one tournament i didn't even win a game with it because it wasn't i i didn't have it fully fleshed out at the point um but I literally played it in one tournament, emailed the combo to an elder, and A and B got an errata like a week later, or maybe two weeks. Like it was, it was a very quick process. Once I explained, you know, how it worked and what could be done, you know, about it and things like that. Um, and so it was, it was really fun. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find it um, on the boards because um, there's, there's a list and there's a discussion about how it works. But it used Gates of Hell to discard my entire deck, and then I only had like seven specific cards that I needed, and then I could discard my opponent's entire uh, deck, and then you know just rescue you know seven souls. So anyway, so um, those actions led to good positive play experiences for players in the games, but it also led to a feeling um, of, you know, being ostracized uh, for those combo-minded players, um, the ones that enjoyed finding those things and doing all that kind of stuff, knowing that if they came up with something cool, they had to keep it a secret for the entire tournament season and then spring it on people and hope that it worked and not get much testing in, or uh their deck just wasn't was just going to get banned you know made illegal right off the bat um kirk dennison you know got to a point where he literally just would make he'd make sure the combo worked he'd like check with like one person and then he just wouldn't tell anybody and he would show up with it and he'd have you know printed pages um confirming that it works the way that he's saying that it works um at tournaments so that he could play uh his combo decks and things like that and uh that's obviously not the only reason Kirk doesn't play anymore. Uh, life changes and things like that. But that was a factor. Um, and Kirk no longer enjoying playing was that he enjoyed finding those things. And we, you know, lawyered him out of the game, basically. So now uh, we try to balance those two things. We think it's important for there to be a space for those players in the game. But we also understand that players don't enjoy sitting there not being able to do anything so there we have to take a a mid-lane approach to it where some things are going to be allowed some things aren't we're going to have to balance everything on its own merits and you know the viability of it the plausibility of it the um consistency of it things like that um so that we make the right decisions um, because we don't want any players to to not have a good experience playing our game we want the players that are combo minded and enjoy finding unique interactions to have a space in our game and we want the players that you know don't enjoy being comboed because there's some of us like you said earlier sometimes it's kind of cool to watch something like that unfold and play out yeah you lose and i mean that's whatever some of us don't like losing i definitely don't but you know, when I was playing JD, when he comboed off against me, I was I had a deck built that I thought was going to be pretty good against the combo. And then he had Invoking Terror as a wrinkle, and I was just like, okay, that's cool. Didn't see that coming. Uh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> um, because I delivered his Sowing Bountifully. Like, he didn't get to Sowing Bountifully against me, and I still got just toasted. So... 
like there are some of us that enjoy that, um, but then there's players that obviously want to actually play the game. And so we just have to balance those things. You mentioned that you guys let it, I guess, go a little bit, give a leash to it before it proves to be a completely negative experience before you guys kind of have an answer to it. Has the Lackey Grand Prix being something where it's getting played and getting talked about now, does that help you all in gathering data about the combo and kind of what, you know, whether it's too much or kind of what the right fix might be having those games and those accounts of those games? Um, it, it definitely doesn't hurt. That's that's for sure. I mean, anytime there's games played and exposure to things, that, that definitely helps things. Um, you know, the more information we have, the easier it is. Uh, frankly, uh, not to toot my own horn, but my game against JD was pretty important. Um because it helps us identify which card is the problem because um, it's not sowing bountifully sowing bountifully isn't the problem card it feels like it is because that's the card that really removes the opponent's ability to block ever so you know the game is going to be over 5-0 um, but like i said i got rid of it sowing bountifully and i still got absolutely smoked and that was really important um, because it helped us hone in on where the problem area actually is. Um, we are looking at all aspects of the combo. Is the problem Widow? Is the problem Life in the Sun? Is the problem Sowing Bountifully? Is the problem, you know, um, some other piece that we're not thinking of? Is it, is it, you know, the Church of Christ? We're looking at that card. If you don't get to generate all of your tokens, is it still a problem? You know, which which card do we need to address and answer, or which multiple sets of cards we need to address and answer? And how do we address them? Is it okay for it to exist in a limited fashion? Would it be okay if Sewing Bountifully only looked at your non-token uh, meek or uh, your non-token cards, or if Life in the Sunford's draw only looked at your non-token cards, you know things like that. Um, there's all sorts of considerations to be made. There um, is the combo something that, if it was far less consistent, would be acceptable and okay, or is it something that just needs to get banned outright? So those are all things as a group that we're looking at. I'm going to tell you my personal opinion on it. I don't think personally in a costless game that an infinite draw combo is healthy in any way, shape, or form. Because I think you will always find something to do when you have that many resources and that huge of a resource disparity between you and your opponent. Anytime that I can go plus 50 on turn one, I'm going to find something to do. Even if Sowing Bountifully didn't exist, even if Invoking Terror didn't exist, if I get to go plus 50 and then slam cross Golden Calf, you know, another artifact, a Jesse and an Obed and all that stuff. Even if that's all I did, even if I didn't invoking terror to get rid of all your stuff, even if I didn't have all the star uh, cards like teaching the parables and uh, first sacrifice to take out evil cards from your hand, even if I didn't have any of those things, if I didn't have the sewing bountifully, even if all I did was just draw my entire deck and drop it in play, that would still be a problem, right? I mean, we look at things like hashtag mayhem. Hashtag Mayhem was the early in incarnation of this. It wasn't nearly as explosive, but it did similar things. Draw a bunch of cards, drop counters in play. So I don't think in a costless game that an infinite draw combo in any way, shape, or form can be a good thing. So I think um, that I'm not the only one that shares that opinion, and I think we will address that aspect of it specifically. I don't think we'll deal, I don't think we'll do anything to Church of Christ. I don't think we will do anything to 
um, Life in the Sun, I think we will do something to uh, Widow uh, more likely than not, um, because Widow is the older card. Um, and so uh, we just printed Life in the Sun. We printed it that way for a reason, uh, things like that. I think we will deal with Widow. Um, and I think we will also look at dealing with sowing bountifully um, in case players find other ways, you know, uh, to generate a bunch of tokens and get around that. Because I think there are still, I think there's still ways to do that piece of it. Um, so that's just my personal opinion um, on where I think things are at. Yeah, that's fair. And it's kind of like when I mentioned the update to my experience in the Lackey Grand Prix to where it's not necessarily the the combo itself that's that's as devastating is that it enables whatever you want it to enable by getting your entire deck and having all of your resources basically at the drop of a hat once you get two or three cards together. Um, are the are the fixes you guys are are considering? I know that you guys probably have not made an official um, decision on it yet, or if you have, it's it's not available to be shared. But how much does it take into account? Like a lot of us especially people that listen to the podcast here, just because I haven't talked as much about type two, I always, you know, generally think in type one terms, how difficult is it making a decision for a combo like this that definitely could also be affecting type two? And how do you guys approach it in that aspect? Yeah, for sure. Um, we look at a lot of similar factors and in type two, it's definitely still, um, I mean, nobody's talking about the type two version, but I, I promise you Tyler's got it built. I promise you Jaden has it built. The type two version does the same thing. You know, I mean, it grabs a widow, it grabs a life in the sun, and then it draws as many cards as it wants. The trick with the type two version is you have to build it in such a way that you can get your hand down. We saw that a little bit um, with Jaden in his video, uh, where at times it looked like he was struggling to manipulate the the loop cycles because he had too many cards stuck in his hand uh, between his dominance and some other things and duplicate copies of cards and things like that. It was actually a little interesting to me to see him kind of, it almost looked like he was going to stop for a point for a second there before he figured out how to get some cards out and keep going. Um, but in type two, that's a bigger consideration with unique characters and things like that. But all that to say, yes, type two is a consideration as well, which is why I think we're going to address more than one card when we do make a move on these things. Cause I think in type two, even if we, you know, fixed widow or banned widow or whatever it is we decide to do there, I think, uh, sewing and church of Christ is still potentially a problem in type two. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I guess, the whole point of this conversation, I know that we, we discussed the Widow combo here and combos and kind of the history of them throughout the game, but the point of the conversation was kind of like figuring out how to maintain perspective through through that, and being that you've gone up against a lot of those decks that you mentioned that were just you know potential negative experiences being on the other side of the table, have you ever experienced to where like redemption just... Like whether it's just for a tournament season or if it's while this deck is, you know, running around, the game's just not fun anymore. And have you ever gone through like a season where it's just like you need to, you know, take a break and, and step away from playing and dedicating so much time to it to where I don't know, it feels like sometimes there's a point to where like at a certain point you're just bashing your head against the wall, getting frustrated over and over and you just need that, you know, chance to reset and get a breath of fresh air, so to speak. You have you ever experienced that? I I would say I've never experienced that 
in a season. Um, I have definitely experienced that at individual tournaments and individual games. Um, I would say I've never had a season of redemption where I have felt that way, um, primarily because a lot of my early competitive uh, play experiences were at a time when people were keeping the combo decks either more secret or I just wasn't as in tune to things. So like Speed Camp in 2009, I knew it existed, but I Cliff wasn't at Nationals that year. I didn't realize the deck was going to be, you know. I, he'd posted on the boards and said, hey, I'm not going to Nationals. Here's a deck I've been working on for a couple of years. It's pretty cool. And so I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's something, you know. And I just, you know, and then Gabe shows up with it. And it's like, okay. Um, and that that's definitely a time when that tournament was very frustrating for me. That game was incredibly frustrating for me. Um, but I haven't experienced that for a season of play, so to speak. Um, I like to think that I'm fairly resilient to that kind of stuff. And partially because I am one of those players that A, enjoys finding combos, B, enjoys playing combos, and C, if somebody gets a cool combo off of me, I enjoy seeing it happen. Um, I will say last year with, you know, the Love at First Sight combo, I was one of the players that, you know, helped discover it very early on. And I had my variation of it. And then, you know, a slightly better variation of it came out. And I was planning on playing it until Josh convinced me not to. And so for a little bit there, it wasn't so much discouraging for me so much as, hey, <laughs> I have the best deck, but so does everybody else. And so, like, does it actually matter that I have the best deck, you know? Um, or is it just going to be random coin flips and whoever gets? So that was, you know mildly like disheartening for me to know that even though I'm a really good player and I know how the combo deck works, um, you know, enough players can play the combo deck and quote unquote, get lucky um, that it might not matter. Um, and that's where it was a little bit of a debate of, Hey, counter or combo. And I just didn't know that counters were quite good enough. And I had it built um, not quite the way that Josh did. And then I saw um, Josh's game against combo the night before nationals. And I was like, okay. And that was what convinced me right there was that it was weighted more than just a coin flip. Um, I had combo built. I checked in, I checked a copy of combo. Um, I had combo built and I had counter built um, and I changed counter slightly after I saw Josh's game um, to weight that coin uh, more heavily uh, that direction. And then I played, played counter. And that was really, uh, it was, it honestly, it was a great tournament for me because I was like, okay, cool. You know, got to, got to the right deck in the end. Um, didn't quite play it well enough to place. Um, also didn't intentional draw with Jeremy, um, which, cause I did my math wrong and thought that I didn't have a chance at top three. And turns out if I'd played and beaten him, I would have gotten top three. So whoops, my bad. Um, and I knocked Ron out of top eight when I did that too, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, so, so last year was interesting from that perspective. I wouldn't say I was, you know, in a season where I was like disheartened or didn't want to play anything with that. I just was like, okay, well, it's going to be, the meta is going to be this. And that means that I have a lower chance of winning nationals because of it. Okay. Not to put you on the spot completely, but being that you are in leadership for the game, do you have any, um, not that you, you speak, you know, for everybody or that you have all of the answers because like you mentioned before, you guys are all volunteers and, and whatnot. You're just people that enjoy the game that are helping, you know, prolong the life of the game. But do you have any advice or suggestions for players that, you know, maybe where you said you had that experience at specific tournaments or from specific games, but for people that are, especially like, I think 
And I've only been playing since 2019, so I came after Children of Light um, and after your um, Mayhem deck and, and everything, you know, learning about those after the fact. But it seems like 2019 was kind of okay uh, when we came in the tail end of that year. And then 2020, you had kind of, you know, the throne variants and what they turned into through last year was love at first sight and now so it seems like there wasn't combos to worry about when i came in per se at the moment active and then there was love at first sight last year and now we've already got widow this year people are constantly looking for combos and it just seems like uh this past these past two years now you know with loc uh being out you had thrown that that one year and then love at first sight last year which was kind of the second year of loc and now goc hasn't even become tournament legal and there's already a combo and so i know that there's frustration like you can get on on discord and, and it's not you know just one or two individuals because if there's one or two individuals that are vocal about it there's other people that are feeling it that just aren't going to say it um do you have any advice for players that are frustrated like that i know that you know we have hopefully an announcement coming about a fix for this, and you guys are working on that fix. But what would you say to players that are frustrated about it in the here and now? Well, I think uh, I think we'll, we'll end the episode the same way we started it, by talking about football. So for those of you that don't know, I'm a really big Packers fan. So I'm going to channel the greatest quarterback of all time, not named Tom Brady, and uh, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. It's going to be okay. At the end of the day, we got to remember, it's just a game, all right? It's a game, and it has a bigger purpose than just being a game. And so anytime that we get frustrated or feel like we don't want to play or the game's not fun or anything like that, we just need to take a step back, take a breath, and relax, and remember that it's just a game. And, yeah, maybe the tournament scene then isn't super great that year. Maybe competitive play isn't exciting and fun because of combos and, you know, whatever. So play with your buddies and and play casually and have fun with them. Experiment with classic format. I mean, I think Widow Combo is a problem in classic too, but, I mean, that doesn't matter, you know. But, like, play classic. Play contender decks. Play challenger decks. Um, I think it's fantastic that we have... Um, all sorts of different tournament styles pop up. Yeah, official sanctioned tournaments through Cactus are great, and getting the prize support from Cactus is really nice, and getting RNRS points and prizes for that is a good thing. But, like, you look at other games, big games, I won't say the game, but everybody knows what I'm talking about, you know, Yes, there's official sanctioned tournaments, but then there's also, you know, three or four major tournament-like tournament like, uh, uh, tours um, and things like that. And there's invitationals and then there's open things and things like that. Um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that develop in Redemption. We've got the Lackey Grand Prix from Jay. Unofficial tournament, testing ground for things. Jay can make up whatever rules he wants with it. People are engaged. We had what? 18 players this round something like that i mean it was a it was a big number um bunch of players playing you know goc decks when goc isn't legal you know fun stuff there you've got your turn games doing the challenger deck tournaments or contender i don't remember which one it is it's one of those two it's contender the fact that there's two of them confuses me all the time I, mostly because i don't buy them because i have the cards already but like so yeah 
so you've got the Your Turn Games tournament. Um, and now you've got uh, Rob M pitching in and he's got a Zoom uh, invitational type thing going on. So I think it's like super awesome that we have all of these ways to play the game that don't involve a super high competitive level. If you want to be a super high competitive level, great, that's awesome. Know that you're going to run into things from time to time that aren't going to be awesome. But if you just want to play and have fun and enjoy the game, there is a myriad number of ways that you can do that without having to worry about Widow and Life in the Sun. And that's one of the great things about Nationals is we're going to fire a whole bunch of side events where you won't have to worry about that. And you're not going to have to worry about it. More than likely, we haven't made a decision yet, but I can't believe we're not going to do something about it. And I'm fairly certain that you'll hear an announcement from us this week where we have a meeting um, about it this week where we're going to get a line call and talk through it together. So I, I got to believe we're going to come to a conclusion and we'll get an answer with it. But like, you're not going to have to deal with it anyway. And even if we decided not to do anything, then you just know, okay, so if I'm going to be a competitive player this year and try to win competitively, I'm going to have to either deal with this or play it myself. Or I can explore one of a thousand different ways. Type Northwest. Somebody make Type Northwest popular again. Somebody take that and run with it. Get a, a Lackey or a Zoom thing. Get a Discord channel going. Get people signed up for it. Make Type Northwest a thing again. Type Northwest was a great format. I played a like zero games of it, but like I wanted to, I think it's cool. Make that a thing. Somebody take type half and run with that. Make that a thing again. I mean, we have so many creatively minded individuals in the game that there's so many things you can do. So many ways you can play the game. You don't have to play in officially sanctioned tournaments. I want you to, I want you to come hang out with me at nationals. I want to do that fun and fellowship piece of it. But I think that if you, you know, are one of those players that gets discouraged easily or is discouraged right now, I would just ask you to just take a deep breath, relax, and look at ways that you can play the game and enjoy and have fun without necessarily needing to be competitive. Because frankly, competitive play, it is what it is, but it's not the end-all be-all. The game is about having fun. Yeah, and I would I would also say that, like you mentioned, if you want to uh, explore non-officially sanctioned, but then you look at, like if you go to Nationals, you can play sealed deck with completely new starter decks. You're not going to run into any kind of broken interactions with that. We um, hope. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But if if it is broken on one side, guess what? It's in the other deck too. <laughs> so, um, and then you have also booster draft, which, you know, you can't draft Ephesian Widow in GOC only booster draft. So Life in the Sun is just a card. Even even still, like if nothing happened to it. So you have those two categories. Um, and then, like you mentioned, the, the side events. And I think the side events are once you get to a certain number, like it's capped right there. So you just get the number of people that reach that cap and say, okay, we're not going to play this. And you have that as an option as well. But I think also another distinction, and I don't know if, if people put this together like that or if it's just me, but like people that are more focused on having fun or whatever – like you mentioned, you know, playing with your buddies and having, you know, local tournaments where it's just you and your friends hanging out, playing the game. Well, you get RNRS points the same way there. And then eventually you go to nationals and someone wins every category from RNRS points, which means that at nationals where it's highly competitive to where 
you know, if if you're not if you're not wanting to be involved in the field at nationals, you still, based on what you do throughout the year, have a chance to win all of the same national promos. Whether you, uh, based on how you do, playing your buddies and playing your your playgroup games for your locals and your districts, and then your state tournament, um, which most most states, you know, you know everybody that's going to be there because you play with them every year for your states, and then regionals is kind of the same way. Based on that, you can you can finish in top three in RNRS points without having to play in the field at nationals in a lot of categories based on your body of work throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Look at look at Chris Fashman. He does it every year. Chris, I mean, he plays at nationals, but like Chris wins RNRS without having to play at nationals every year. Every year he does it. Yeah, and he's not necessarily trying to win, I don't think. I think it's just a byproduct of playing with his local play group. And he picks up those points. So there's that's an avenue for people that want to play it more in a casual fashion versus competitive and still have a chance at those national promos. So that is that is definitely something that I think uh, if people aren't thinking about it that way, that's what I would I would suggest to them. And then you still have, you know, the sealed categories where it might be competitive. You might have, you know, the the top level competitive players playing that, but they're still limited to what's in the starter decks. Which guess what? You have everything in their starter deck because the abilities are mirrored. And then it's based on what you draft out of or what you get out of the packs that goes with sealed deck. And then booster drafts, you know, some of it comes down to strategy and knowing what to draft and whatnot. And in the future I wanna do an episode on both sealed and booster draft and kind of strategies behind them, but it comes down to also luck, and the best player isn't necessarily going to have the best deck. Um, I mean, if that was the case, then the people, same people that are winning Type 1 and Type 2 every year would be winning Booster Draft and Sealed Draft every year, and it's not always the case. So there's there's ways to play it, even in an official capacity, to where you don't have to deal with that. Like the open categories to where you're building your own deck out of your own card pool, those are the highly uh, competitive categories to where you might run into some of those things to where like people are going to sell out for wins and play what they think is the best way to win. And if that's a combo, they're going to do that. But there's ways to avoid that in playing both officially and definitely casually. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. So I guess we've taken up enough of your time this week. Um, We literally spent almost an hour, if, if not a little over on the, new content and and new information this week. So I guess that just means that the hype train is fully fueled up and still rolling along toward nationals. We keep getting new information and things. Uh, Just a a gut check for you, John. You've been to how many nationals? Uh, I have been to 16 nationals. 16. Do you think this is going to be the best one ever? Nothing beats the first one. So if it's your first one? uh no i'm just kidding uh (laughs) this this nationals is shaping up to be one of the best nationals of all time uh i have been to 16 and there are definitely uh some really good ones that i've been to um i would say 2011 in my home state of minnesota was one of the last like really 
big, big nationals. And I had a blast at that one. That one was a really good time. Uh, the church facility that we were at uh, was was really good for that. Um, I've been to nationals uh, in Iowa before, and Gabe hosts a really great tournament as well. And his facilities are are really really good. So yeah, I mean it's it's if it's not the best ever, it's definitely gonna be in my top three. I think, uh, and I guess I can't really say that for sure because of the experience and thing that you have with each year and each season. You know, some people are there, and there's memorable moments. Um, but I definitely think as far as, like, the X's and O's and what's available for you as an experience, as a player, for you to go, all of the things that can engage you. And it seems like from the moment you step foot in the facility, in the church, like, if you, if you were if, – if boredom ever crosses your mind, it's it's because you are, you're, you know, blind and deaf because <laughs> – like there's so much that's just going to be pulling to where I don't think I'm going to have enough time to do everything that I want to do. Like I've got ideas of like rebuilding my, my King Noah deck and, you know, trying to play that in a classic event, but I might not get around to it because of all the other stuff that's going to be going on. And I'm planning on bringing, you know, the recording stuff and recording some conversations and stuff with people that I don't normally get to sit down with in person. And it's just like, can can we move to make nationals a week long event? I think that'd be pretty cool, but I don't have that much vacation time, John. I know, but man, look at all the side events. And then you're talking about type Northwest, like catching a foothold. Like if that thing catches on pretty, pretty strongly and you know, in the future becomes a, cause I, I think like we could potentially expand, you know, official categories in the future. Like if numbers get back up, and that would be pretty cool. That's the that's the format that doesn't use dominance, right? Yeah, yep. Doesn't use dominance, and it's not played to a score. Um, it's played for a specific amount of time, and whoever has the most souls at the end wins. Um, and so it's very interesting, the deck building process and the goals, because speed isn't necessarily king in type Northwest. A, you don't have as many power cards that you're going for, and B, you have to block, because you don't just get to, you know, one, two, three, cloud of dust and win. You you have to play for an hour, and you have to uh, continue to make plays and make blocks that entire time. Uh, so yeah, I think more type Northwest, like I said, I don't think I've ever actually played a game, but it's just, it's a very well-designed category coming from a fan, uh, fan community level. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. I remember reading about it at one point, I think I saw a post about it back when we first started and I was, you know, going through the history of redemption on the boards. And I think I remember seeing a post about it and it was like no dominance. And I was like, that's such a far fetched idea once you get ingrained to playing with them. But then you think about it to where if you don't have to worry about going in with a lone evil character, whether they've got Angel of the Lord or a Christian Martyr on the other side, like then that's going to make battle interaction. You don't feel like you have to band when you don't you know, necessarily want to for whatever reason based on you know abilities and whatnot. And your enhancements are actually going to work. You're not going to have somebody drop down Chronicles of the King, so... That'd be pretty cool. Maybe maybe we should do a future episode on Type Northwest and get find out. Um, I'm pretty sure. Is it Stamp? 
is he the one that that came up with that? I don't know that Stamp came up with it, uh, but he definitely championed it for a while. Um, I think he probably helped develop it at the very least. I don't honestly remember the exact history, but yeah, get get Stamp on here and and have him talk about Type Northwest. That'd be a great episode. That sounds like it. So I'm going to have to have my people call a couple of different people after this. You do. You got some work to do. Get your people on the phones. (laughs) So I guess we'll go ahead and end the conversation here. Thanks, John, for coming on and helping me out. I would also, uh, I guess I should say this at some point. I meant to say it at the beginning, but I didn't put it in the notes, so I skimmed over it. Baseball season has started for my kid by the time you hear this. So you're going to be hearing this on Monday if you're listening to it when it, or I'm sorry, Tuesday when it comes out. And so Monday night, so last night, if you're listening to this on the first day it releases, um, we would have started the season with a double header. And now we're basically playing three to four nights a week. So (laughs) life is going to get busy for me. So I'm not planning on having any lapses on missing any episodes. Like I'm going to try to avoid that as if it were the plague, but if it happens, it just happens. So I'm letting you know now that that could be something that, that sneaks up on me one week based on just a busy schedule for baseball and whatnot. Since I coach that, I can't like skip the games. So just a, just a gentle reminder that, I will be trying to maintain schedule, but if we if we get off, we're not we're not going away. It's just life's kind of catching up right now, just with baseball season. So we started with sports, and we'll end it with sports. So there it goes. All right, All right so guys. peace. All right, thank you so much for joining and sticking around to the end. I want to thank you guys for listening each week want to thank our guest John Early for coming on and spotting me this week being the guest here and if you picked up a couple of nuggets there was a couple of mentions of potential future episodes you know on sealed draft uh, on sealed on booster draft and on you know type northwest things of that nature so maybe we'll see some of those episodes come to fruition down the road but you know otherwise we'll figure something out for next week so I'll talk to you then peace <laughs>